place on that first Easter. In the evening of that first Easter, we find it recorded for us in Luke chapter 24. This is the account of these two men on the road to Emmaus, going back to Emmaus, and they're returning and talking about the events of this day, and they encounter someone on on the road joining them, it is the Lord himself, and they don't recognize him, and he explains the scriptures to them, and so we see that their eyes are open when he sits down with them and breaks bread with them. We're going to begin reading at the 13th verse uh, of Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? and, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while they talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is, it's true, it is true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Congregation beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, this 
Some time, a good, some time ago, a good friend of mine told me about an article he had read concerned a missionary that was serving a mission field. I don't know exactly where it was, South America or New Guinea or somewhere. And, and apparently this missionary was one of these signs and wonders types. So he was sending back accounts of all of these marvelous miracles that were happening on the mission field. He sent these reports back to his supporters. And, and they were just incredible. Uh, people being healed from deadly diseases, people that were, people that were miracul miraculously healed, brought back to health again, people that were even raised from the dead. And so there was a reporter that read these articles and they decided to go, he decided to go out to the mission field and, and, and see once if these were actually true. And so he interviewed a number of people and he discovered that these reports were either greatly exaggerated or uniformly false except for one. There was a report that a man had been raised from the dead. And so this reporter took a translator with him and went to this tribe in the hinterlands and they gathered the elders and the chief of the tribe and they said, now, we heard this report that there was a man here among you that was raised from the dead. Is this true? And they said, yes, it is. It's true. It's true. And this reporter pressed them a little farther and said, now you're telling me that here is a man that was about to be buried and he was dead and he came back to life again? And then they began to laugh, the chief and the elders, and they said, no, no, no. No, uh, you misunderstand our language. Uh, when we said he was dead, what we really meant was he was near death or he was as good as dead. He was in a coma and he came out of it after a few days. But, you know, the death that you're speaking of, uh, we have another word for that, and that word is, is uh, dirt in the face. And then they all smiled and, and laughed a bit and they said, no one comes back from that. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, I've never seen someone raised from the dead and I don't think anyone here has. And in fact, uh, there were theologians that called themselves Christian in the last century. One of them was a man by the name, a liberal theologian by the name of Rudolf Boltman. He said, look, he said, resurrections don't happen. They just don't happen. I mean, if you're going to present Christianity to the world, to, to the world that thinks scientifically, you've got to dispel yourselves of this. You've got to say, well, that's just part of the Christian mythology. That's the, the disciples remembering Christ as he was. But, but you know, resurrections don't happen. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul 
addressed Rudolf Boltmann two centuries before he ever espoused this philosophy. In 1 Corinthians 13, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, if that did not happen, then our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain, and we are of all men most miserable. If it's only a myth, you may as well put your Bibles on the shelves. Put your Bible on the shelf next to Grimm's Fairy Tales or Hans Christian Andersen. Just forget about it. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, there is no point to the scriptures. And now today we celebrate Easter. And you'll hear a lot of things about Easter. A lot of things that, that, that divert our attention from what it is about. Oh, you'll hear people talk about Easter is, is the hope of new life. You see it in the world around you. The trees are blooming and the, and the flowers are beginning to come out. And, and it begins the springtime and, and, and we have with it the hope and promise of new life. Well, that's a rather shallow comfort because when all is said and done, every one of us is going to die. And what about my life? What about my life? What comfort can I cling to because of Easter? Now this evening we have a passage of scripture about Two men were who were on the road to Emmaus. And, and as they're walking along, they encounter a third man next to them. And it is the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. But they don't recognize him. And, and so they say, are you the only one around that hasn't heard about what's going on in Jerusalem today? I mean, everybody knows. This was on the headlines of the Jerusalem Post. They didn't have the Jerusalem Post, but this is what everybody's heard of. And you, didn't, you don't know what's going on? We'll tell you. There was this man, Jesus, a prophet, a, a, a man from God, powerful in word and deed, and and the chief priests and the rulers gave him up to be crucified. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had set our hopes on him. And then the Lord, incognito, opened to them the scriptures. And so Christ's message on this Easter evening, first of all, was anchored in the scriptures, anchored in the Old Testament, beginning, the Bible tells us, with the books of Moses. Secondly, we see that the account of Easter is verified by the very presence of the Lord himself 
as well as by many witnesses, as well as by God himself who did not let his Holy One see corruption, did not leave his soul in Sheol or suffer his Holy One to see corruption. Thirdly, we see that this draws our attention and points us to the very foundation of the Christian faith. No Easter, no Christianity. No resurrection, no hope. And finally, it is, in fact, the basis of our comfort and our hope as Christians. You know, the scene that we find described for us is, is very ordinary. Two men walking back to Emmaus. It's not the Sabbath anymore. Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's, it's longer than a Sabbath day's journey. So they waited till Monday and they're going back home and they're discussing the events of the day. And, and, and the Bible doesn't tell them much about who they are. We know the name of the one was... Cleophas, but, but that he was a, uh, who he was, we don't know. Probably part of the extended circle of disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people think that maybe it was Cleophas and his wife, but the Bible says that they were men. Uh, in fact, Christ says, oh, foolish men. Uh, so we assume that they were men. They're going back home to the town of Emmaus. And as they're returning, as they're returning home, a figure comes and begins to talk to them. A man comes and begins to talk to them. And, and as he's talking to them, he, he begins to explain the events of this day. He begins to explain the events of this day. And, and there is among these men, a sense of bewilderment. Because if what has happened in this day actually took place, what does it all mean? And, and frankly, it's hard to believe. In fact, were it not for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ himself to these men, it would have been impossible for them to believe without the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. That's the gospel. It's, it's impossible to believe. And yet it's absolutely true. And so the Lord, beginning with Moses, tells them, tells them what the scripture says about the Messiah tells them what the scripture says about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, <clears throat> it is extraordinary when we look at the Old Testament, isn't it? Right from the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, the lines are drawn between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And, and, did the Lord quote Genesis 3.15? We don't know. 
but certainly that's part that's the, that's the initial part of God presenting his great plan of salvation to his people. And, and then, of course, you read on about the serpent in the wilderness in Numbers, in Numbers 21. Uh, you know, when the poisonous snakes were among the people in the camp and, and Moses made this brass serpent and, and, and held it up, and if you looked at that, you would be healed. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the Lord must have spoken of Isaiah chapter 53. You know, I'm always fascinated by that chapter because Isaiah the prophet begins that chapter with a question, huh? Who has believed our report? Who's going to believe this? Who's going to believe this? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then you have this great messianic chapter in Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. He is the one who is the good shepherd. The Lord must have spoken of that. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. How could the Lord, in explaining the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament overlook Isaiah. Overlook what Isaiah said. Or Ezekiel 34, I will set over them one shepherd and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Even as the Lord hung on the cross, he points people those who were around the cross, he points them to the scriptures, to the Old Testament. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then we read again in Psalm 22, that they parted my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. There it was. It was being played out before their very eyes. The scriptures were being fulfilled. And they didn't see it. They didn't know what was happening. And Christ says, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe. When Christ died, their hopes were dashed. Because you know when all is said and done, death puts an end to things. These two men from Emmaus, in spite of hearing or knowing of the miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the tomb, these two men from Emmaus were skeptical. Resurrections don't 
happen. There is a finality to death that cannot be denied. And as far as Jesus of Nazareth is concerned, it seems to be over. But there was something else that these men forgot. They not only forgot the scriptures in the Old Testament, but they had forgotten what the Lord himself had told them in the course of his earthly ministry. They had forgotten that in John chapter 2, after the first cleansing of the temple, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They forgot the, not only the Old Testament, but they forgot the, the confirmation of that Old Testament by Christ himself. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews say, well, wait a minute. It took 46 years to build the temple. But Jesus spoke of the temple of his body. In John chapter 10, when he speaks of himself as the good shepherd, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. This charge I have received from my father. You know, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, people of God? You know, you know who actually took Christ more seriously than his followers? Well, it was the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, after he was buried, after he was placed in the tomb, what do they do? They go, to the, they go to Pilate and they said, well, hey, he said that after three days he was, would, would rise again, and so we want to put a guard on the tomb. Sometimes the world listens a little carefully, more carefully than the church. We want to put a guard on the tomb. He said he was going to arise again. Well, we saw his miracles. He just might do it. Pilate says, well, you've got an army of your own. You've got soldiers of your own. Go ahead. Put them around the tomb. Place a guard on the tomb. You see, Christ himself plainly told his disciples, plainly told his disciples that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. They had forgotten. And then, of course, you had the testimony of the angels at the tomb. He's not here, he's risen. The testimony and the witness of the women that said, this is what we heard. Well, they didn't believe them either. And then Christ appears to Peter and he appears to these men on the way to Emmaus. You know, the Bible says he appeared on Easter evening to two groups. He appeared to the disciples in the upper room and he appeared to these two men on the road to Emmaus. Thomas apparently was not in the upper room that night. Eight days later, he would appear to Thomas, and you remember what Thomas said. And you know, Thomas said something that all of the 
disciples, indeed, it seems to be all of the followers of Jesus, had at one point had experienced. Thomas gave expression to that. He was the skeptic. He said, look, if I don't see the nail prints in his hands, if I can't place my hand in the wound in his side, I'm not going to believe it. I mean, seeing is believing. And I've never heard of anybody being raised from the tomb. Thomas the skeptic, Thomas the doubter. And a week later, Christ appears to Thomas. I won't believe it until I see it, says Thomas. And in the end... It is only the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself, who overcomes unbelief. It's ultimately only through the testimony of his Holy Spirit that unbelief can be conquered. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And so when the Lord encounters these men on the road and explains the scripture to him, they invite him to supper. Come on over, stay with us. And then the account in the scripture also is interesting, isn't it? Because it takes a turn, it takes a twist. Christ goes to have supper with them when they reach Emmaus. Christ goes to have supper with them, and at the table, he's the one who asks the blessing. He's the one who breaks the bread. He's the one who hands it it out. He is the guest who becomes the host. And then he disappears from their sight. After the breaking of the bread, he disappears from their sight. And they recognize and realize who he is. You know, it's interesting that, that when we gather about the Lord's table, we see that kind of foreshadowed here, isn't it? don't we? Uh, he breaks the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. He is, he is the one who is the host. We, we gather about a table. We don't gather about an altar. That sacrifice has been paid once and for all. When he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. We don't re-sacrifice Christ again, time and time and time again. We gather about a table. And so when we celebrate communion... We gather about a table that looks forward to that heavenly banquet at which the Lord himself will be the host. But you know, thirdly, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ really forms the foundation of our Christian faith. It is, in in a sense, the core foundation. People might believe in the incarnation that there was a man 
that was born in Bethlehem and that he was a good teacher and that he got caught in the wheels of Roman justice and that he was crucified wrongly, innocently, condemned to death. They can believe all that. Yeah, the world can accept that. And they can say he was a nice rabbi, a a wonderful teacher, a wonderful ethical leader, and so on and so forth. But then you know in the Apostles' Creed, when we come across that article that says that we confess tonight and on the third day he rose again from the dead, all of a sudden the world says, wait a minute, wait a minute, now, Now you're going a little too far. Now you're going a little too far. It's one of those doctrines where there is no compromise, is there? You believe it or you don't. One or the other. Was that tomb empty? Did Christ actually rise from the dead? Or is it not true? And if you think it's not true and call yourself a Christian, let me tell you something. You're not a Christian, plain and simple. You know, the Bible presents the Lord Jesus Christ as true God, true man, risen from the dead. You believe it or you don't. There is no middle ground. C.S. Lewis made that observation once, you know. If if what the Bible says about Christ is not true and and what he says about himself is not true, then it's either true or otherwise he's the greatest liar that has ever lived. Believe it or don't. And that's precisely the point that the Apostle Paul made, as I mentioned before, in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ is not risen, preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain, and we are of all, all most miserable. But he is risen, and he is the firstfruits of them that sleep. You see, people of God, finally, that's the basis of our eternal comfort and joy. These men on the road to Emmaus were profoundly sad. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And in their despair, they encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he shows them who he was and why he had come, That despair is turned to boundless joy. Did not our hearts burn within us? How could we have been so ignorant? How could we have been so blind not to have seen this? Did not our hearts burn within us? You know, people of God... This is the day, and as indeed every Sunday we gather, to to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? What comfort can we get from that? 
Well, you know, it means this, first of all, that death will not have the final word in our lives. A couple of months ago, I had an occasion, we had an occasion to visit with a man who was a doctor, a retired doctor. Well, I guess he was still practicing medicine, head of the uh, Infectious Diseases Department at Mayo Clinic. And we were talking about just what he did, uh, Zika virus and all that stuff. And he said, you know, we have a... Uh, a saying in the doctor's lounge. He says, we don't like to spread it around too much, but that, uh, that we're in, in a battle with the bugs. And he said, the bugs always win. And I thought, you know, in a profound sense, that's true, isn't it? Uh, no matter how good the doctor, no matter how skilled the surgeon, no matter how competent the physician, in the end, death wins. Death wins. Christ's resurrection says no. Death is not the winner. Death is the gateway to eternal life. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who has given us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ, so that there is no separation from Christ or from fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have gone before. The church triumphant, the church in heaven crying out, How long, O Lord? How long? When will your redemption be complete? When will there be a new heaven and a new earth? Third thing is that the Christian may have this confidence. God will make all things right. God will make all things right. And because for finally Christ arose, we too shall rise. He is the first fruits of them that sleep. I met a man some time ago, had a long conversation with him. He was an atheist. And I got to know him fairly well and, and met with him a number of times. And he said, you know, I don't believe in God. I said, Charles, I says, uh, Take a look around you. How do you explain this? He said, well, I don't have to explain it. It's just there. You know, the world is just there. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't wrap my mind around that, I said to him. Well, I just don't believe that. When you die, you die. That's the end of the matter. Well, consider the miracle of your own creation. You know, out of the mouths of babes, he's, he's ordained strength that he may put to silence the enemy and the avenger. I mean, you, you say there's no God and you don't, want, don't see it in creation. Well, take a look at your own creation. Like, a, Take a look at the birth of a newborn baby. It's a, it's a, it's a miracle. 
No, that's just the way it is. And I said, it's a dismal, dismal view. And I said, well, would you admit that there's evil in this world? That something is wrong with this world? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, obviously you can see that. There's pain and suffering. You can see that. There's something wrong with this world. And I said, now, if there is no God, people like Hitler and Stalin, wicked people, wicked people, caused the deaths of millions of people. They, they can live to a ripe old age. Some, some of them theoretically could live to a ripe old age. Stalin died of natural causes. And that's the end of the matter. They get by with it. They're off the hook. Then where is there any justice? And he kind of shrugged. Because he knew that at the end, there is no hope. There is no hope for the unbeliever. I said to him, Charles, let me give you a Bible. He said, don't bother, I won't read it. And you feel a profound sadness, a profound sadness. And you realize that in the end, salvation is God's work. It is God who justifies. It is God who, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convinces us, convinces us of the glorious truth that Christ is risen. Christ is risen. and all will be well. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. O oh Lord our God, how thankful we are for the glorious message of the resurrection, that we may truly rejoice in this day in your work of salvation. And we pray, O oh Lord, that your people may be faithful in proclaiming that work throughout the world so that, so that others may know also of the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and the victory that he has accomplished for us over sin and death and hell so that we with our brothers and sisters in Christ may indeed make that glorious confession, not only on this day, but on each and every day of our lives. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.